now. You're in the WOR Sports Zone. Filling in for Pete, here's Sal Licata. Miguel Andujar has homered again. I mean, this guy's been on a tear as of late. Karen, the Yanks, they have a 4-0 lead in the top of the third. Right now, we turn our attention to football. We'll talk to friend of the show, Pat Leonard, who covers the Giants for the New York Daily News. Pat and I just did a show on SNY, Daily News Live at 5.30, or excuse me, at 5 to 5.30, and we tried to get uh, out of Pat, uh, you know, who in fact the Giants are going to take with their pick, whichever pick they do decide to have, whether they trade out, or whether they stay at two, and Pat, we really didn't get an answer for you, so I wanted to circle back and get one out of you right now. What are the Giants going to do, Pat, come Thursday? Thursday night with that second pick? Good question, Sal. It's, it's the biggest <laughs> mystery, and it's what everyone's waiting for, too. You know, Dave Gettleman is relishing the fact that everyone around the league is kind of wondering if the Giants, not only who they're going to take, but whether they're going to trade out or not. Um, you know, I've been told by a couple of people around the league that the Giants pick is quote-unquote for sale, but not meaning that the Giants don't want it and want to get out, meaning that they are listening to calls, listening to offers, and seriously considering the possibility that they may be able to leverage one of these quarterback-hungry teams like the Buffalo Bills or somebody else coming up. Um, though I am skeptical that the Giants would trade back as far as 12, which is where the Bills' first round or highest first-round pick is. Um, bottom line is, I think, if you had made me answer the player right now, I think they're taking Saquon Barkley. I know a lot of people have a problem with the Giants taking him at two and not trading down and getting some value before taking a position player, but frankly, I'm not sure the deal is going to exist. And I think Dave Gettleman is going to trust his scouts and his film study. And finally, everything they've done really to this point has indicated they intend to surround Eli Manning with better pieces to win now. And I think drafting a quarterback is planning for the future, but the Giants haven't been doing that. They've been planning for the now. Do you think, Pat, this is a scenario where at this point it's the Giants saying, okay, it's either Barkley or uh, whatever we can get via a trade and trade down and just simply weighing whatever is the greatest option, whether it's the Bills or somebody else. I mean, I know there's even been rumors about the Jets trading up potentially too. Whatever they can get, best package for that number two pick versus Saquon Barkley. Is it safe to say that we're at that point potentially with Gettleman and the Giants? I wouldn't say a quarterback is totally out. I would agree with you that the scenario you just painted is the one that I think is most likely, Saquon versus a trade-out. Uh, but there are, there are folks around the league who think that the reason the Giants haven't made a trade-out yet is because they ultimately intend to take a quarterback themselves. Now, the reason I'm skeptical of that, even though I, even though I would like the Giants to do that, I think it's a prudent move to take like a Josh Rosen. You know, I think that you look at Dave Gettleman, look what happened with the Odell Beckham Jr. trade discussions, if you will. You know, they talked to teams, and teams were interested, but part of what scared them away was that Dave Gettleman didn't come off an extremely high asking price of reportedly two first-round picks, maybe more. And I think in this case, too, what you could have is that Gettleman would be willing to trade, but just like with the Beckham talk, isn't willing to take any kind of discount. Uh, you know, he's going to want way more than even the Jets, you know, gave the Colts to move up from six to three possibly. And that's going to require a team to mortgage an entire draft or, you know, half of this one and half of next year's, whatever it is. So that's, that's my theory on that is that it's more likely they don't trade because even though Gettleman's playing the field, I'm not sure he's creating the leverage to get the type of 
blockbuster deal it would require to move them out. Yeah, and nor should he be, honestly, Pat. I mean, he's in a position of power. He can, and I know he loves it, and he can do whatever he wants with that. He can make the selection. He could trade down potentially. He could take a quarterback. He could take Barkley. I mean, he's in a position of power, so he shouldn't, you know, waver at all on his demands. The question then becomes, is he going to do the right thing at number two? And I think the Giants are in a weird spot being that, or maybe in a fortunate spot, that they have a quarterback in place with Eli Manning. It is a perfect transition if you draft whichever one of the top three quarterbacks in this draft that you would like, take them, or whichever one is there after the Browns make their selection, take them and have Eli Manning not necessarily, quote-unquote, mentor them, but you get the idea. Manning can play. They can learn from Eli for a year, potentially two, and then go from there. If not, where are the Giants going when Eli Manning is finished? And by the way, he may be finished now. They're talking like he's got two years. He stunk last year. So where are they going if Eli's not a factor or not effective? Well, that's what's interesting is even though the contract of Eli suggests that this would be his last year and they can cut him and save a lot of money going into 2019, the way the Giants are talking and, you know, Ernie Accorsi was saying last week that it sounds like they think he has at least two years left. And if that's the case, if they really believe that, then they would be in no rush to take the quarterback of the future if they truly feel Eli definitely has two years left. Now, another thing that could impact it is how what the Browns do at one. You know, there's tons of names flying out there from Allen to Darnold to Mayfield. Um, if Darnold falls to two, there's a belief around the league that Darnold would be the guy that would make the Giants most likely to go QB. Like I said, I'm more of a Rosen guy than a Darnold guy. Darnold is only 20 years old. He's very young, still raw, not as raw as Allen. Uh, but both of those guys, Allen and Darnold, if the Giants were to draft them, would be more longer-term projects that might fit more into their belief in that Eli Manning has a couple years left. So that's why I think they should take Rosen. But to me, the the personality fit and the timeline fit to the way the Giants are acting a quarterback, if they do take one, mean it feels more like Darnold and Allen than any of the other QBs. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, and I'm with you. I would take Rosen myself, but you painted a nice picture here where with Eli here, with the... You know, with the skill set, or maybe not skill set, but the intangibles, or the you know the way Rosen is. Rosen's a guy who's going to want. Rosen's a guy. If you take, you want him to come in and start right away. I don't think Rosen is the type of guy that you're going to have him sit there certainly for a whole year. I mean, maybe a few games. I think he'd put too much pressure on Eli. I don't think that would create a healthy environment. But if they like Darnold, and Darnold happens to be there, or even Allen for that matter, as long as they like those guys. You know, the problem becomes, Pat, if they don't take a quarterback now, and I guess you could be of the theory, well, worry about that when we get there a year, two years down the road, we'll figure one out. If you don't have the chance to take a guy now that you potentially like, what are they going to do? I mean, you could be in quarterback purgatory then for the next 15, 20 years if you don't get the right guy. Right, and it's it's an interesting dilemma here because this quarterback class is so highly touted and so highly praised But at the same time, there are teams, and the Giants may be one of them, and if you talk to scouts and people around the league, some of them say the same thing. It's not a popular opinion, but there are people who think that even though there's a lot of good quarterbacks in this class, there may not be a great one. And that's, you know, that's all opinion, too. Like, we talk about Peyton Manning versus Ryan Leaf and Aaron Rodgers falling in the draft and Alex Smith going one and all that. So, you know, what does anybody know? But it's interesting because the Giants would seem to be in a position, like you said, 
if you don't take a quarterback now, where are you in two years? Even if Eli has two years left, why squander this opportunity? It's not like you're going to be in the top five of the draft, hopefully, in those years to come. But at the same time, Gettleman, and this is why I keep coming back to this, because you know, hiring Pat Shermer, who's a quarterback guy, and Mike Shula, offensive coordinator, former Cam Newton quarterback coach in Carolina, that all screams that they're going quarterback too. They're basically hiring people to help them make the quarterback decision. So that would lead you in that direction. I just keep coming back to Dave Gettleman and the fact that he has drafted consistently on the defensive line in the first round. He drafted Christian McCaffrey at running back in his last draft for the Carolina Panthers at eight. And Saquon Barkley is a much better player than McCaffrey. McCaffrey is a great player. Uh, So what I think is that I firmly believe that even though the coaches scream quarterback, I think the general manager screams best player available. And in this class, the way the quarterbacks are considered, even though they have a lot of upside, I don't think any of them are considered better prospects than guys like Barkley or even Bradley Chubb from NC State. Yeah, I think it's an interesting theory. And honestly, Pat, as much as I disagree with taking a running back that high, hard to argue against that logic. I mean, if they believe he is the best player, and by all accounts, I mean, we could read, you could watch, I think everybody would probably, to a man, agree the best player in the draft is Saquon Barkley. It's just a matter of you don't take a running back that high and you, you know, you hope that you could find a star on one of the quarterbacks. If the, if Gettleman and the Giants firmly believe that, then I guess you make the pick. Is there any way, though, you think that they could get Barkley? Uh, probably not by trading down, right? Because he wouldn't get past the Browns at four with that with their second pick. Well, I wonder. Yeah, I wonder whether they could make it. Like, if I don't, th- I'm skeptical that Gettleman would trade as far down to twelve with the Bills. But if they swung a three way trade, like there have been rumors of discussions of three way trades, either involving the Colts at six, or you know, could the Browns be involved at four? And could the Browns and Giants both move back to get the Bills all the way up to two? And then the Giants get to four and still get Barkley. You know, it's very complicated. Uh, and the Bills would have to mortgage a lot to get all the way up there. That would be the out-of-the-box thinking of how that could happen. I, I would say the one thing that I think is unusual is that Chubb has picked up steam, the defensive end from NC State, in the last month or so. Even though he's a really good player, uh, you know, and, and if the Giants don't take him, the, a lot of people expect the Browns to take him at number four with their second pick in the top four. Chubb is a very good player, but everyone keeps pointing to the Giants when Gettleman was here drafting all those defensive ends to help them win Super Bowls, but they didn't take any of those guys in the first round. Strahan was a second-round pick. O.C. was a second-round pick. Tuck was a third-round pick, I'm pretty sure. And so, yes, they value that position, but taking a D.N. that high when the, the problem on your defense, like last year their defense's problem was effort and some talent at the linebacker position and really just guys not buying in all at once into what Spagnola was selling by the end of it. But the problem wasn't talent. They had Harrison, Collins, Jenkins, these guys. These guys are all high talent. The offense lacked talent. So when I keep thinking about who they're going to take, let's say you think Barkley and Chubb are the best guys available up top. I just think Eli's offense needs more talent than that defense needs more talent, if that makes sense. And the one, no, it does make sense. The one scenario, and I guess Denver has Denver already come out and said they're not trading up. They're standing pat at five. I don't know if that's the case. They but- actually, Elway has said actually he's open to trading down or up. He's he's kind of amended that. I think just really quickly, I think what you're seeing is Denver is realizing it's in a more premium position than they even believed at first. I really do think that even though the Giants are answering the phone on trade calls, 
there's a belief that five may be the flashpoint of the draft, perhaps over two if the Giants stay. Well, that's what I'm thinking, Pat, just looking it over and thinking about it, right? Let's assume, because I think by all look, common sense, reporting, all things factored, and it doesn't sound like the Giants love a quarterback unless potentially somehow Darnold was there at two. That would make their decision more difficult. But let's say he's not. Let's say Darnold goes one to the Browns, Giants are at two. Do they, A, take Saquon Barkley, B, look to trade with maybe the Broncos, who if you know if you trade with Denver, right, at five, Denver trades up to two, they take a quarterback, Jets take a quarterback, would the Browns then either take Barkley or do they take Chubb, and then the Giants get one of those at five? Now, ideally, you'd like to have Barkley there, you don't know what Cleveland's going to do, but that would be, to me, the best case scenario is where they get either Chubb or Barkley if they love those guys, plus they get whatever picks from trading down a few spots. No question. I totally agree with that. The best case scenario, if they do seem indeed to go position player, would be to move down a couple spots but not too far and still get a Barkley or Chubb. And I, like, in, even though I prefer Barkley over Chubb for these Giants, if they go to five and, they, and then the Browns have their pick of one of them and the Giants get the other, I'm fine with that because you're getting assets to add to a team that, that needs depth, that Gettleman knows needs depth, plus an elite player at his position. So I totally agree with you. That would be the best case scenario for the Giants. I just don't – the one thing I wonder is whether that trade, even if it's offered by the Broncos, it's, it still seems that Gettleman has been a tough customer, even though he's been very willing to answer the phone has been a tough customer to really seal the deal. So we'll see if that changes or not. Fascinating. Only a few more days left to talk about it, Pat, and then it'll be in the books and we can analyze what actually happened instead of guessing what might happen. Pat Leonard, New York Daily News, Giants beat writer. Thank you, and you can see him on SNY as well. Thanks, Pat. Appreciate it. Pleasure, Sal. Take care. All right, check Pat out, uh, SNY, and like I said, uh, all over the Daily News and the Giants beat. Thursday will be here, hopefully, soon enough. 800-321-0710, 800-321-0710. Your calls, Mets tickets. We'll do the Jets side of things with Connor Hughes of The Athletic at 835. Still more to do here. Say, Take it on 9 o'clock in the Sports Zone. Salakot in for Pete McCarthy, The Voice of New York, 710 WOR. You're in the WOR Sports Zone. And for Pete, here's Sal Licata. We'll do some more football. The Jets draft with Connor Hughes of The Athletic coming up at 835. Producer Mark, a couple things for you. Did you happen to see the video of Carlos Gomez? Was that yesterday? Uh, Hitting a a home run and doing a, I don't even know if I could call it a bat flip. Did you happen to see that clip? I did not. It is the most egregious celebration of a home run. I've ever seen in my life, and I am not exaggerating. I, I know sometimes I'll say, I don't, well, I don't really say things for shock value. I say things because I believe them. I mean, sometimes you, you throw a joke on the end of it to make it more, you know, emphatic. Like I was saying, Sonny Gray made, makes Matt Harvey look like Nolan Ryan because, you know, Sonny Gray could only go three and a third. Matt Harvey goes, you know, five, six innings. He gets tattooed, but at least he goes five, six innings. Sonny Gray's so bad, he makes Matt Harvey look like Nolan Ryan. That's obviously not, in the literal sense, it's not true at all, but you throw something on it. With this, I am being dead serious, 100% honest in my evaluation. It is the most egregious celebration of a home run from start to finish of the trot that I've ever seen in my entire life. And all I could say is that if I were a pitcher or really a player on an opponent, in this case it was the Twins who got swept by the Rays, I would make sure I'd make a mental note of that. And I would probably throw at Carlos Gomez, even if I hit him, 
I would throw at him probably the next three three at bats that he's had against me. I mean, that's how bad. You got to see this clip. Uh, it, I'm it watching is, it right now. And what what do you think? I mean, he's on the Rays. Am I, I am, am, am I exaggerating? No, you're not. It's ridiculous. I mean, did you see the finish? Yeah, I'm watching that right now where he's going into home plate. Like it's, stomping. It's a too much. It is, it's honestly disgusting. And people were, you know, tweeting it and retweeting it and laughing and, haha, I'm going to retweet this for everybody who, uh, you know, for those people who hate bat flips. It, it's, there's no, I mean, there's no place in the sport for that as far as I'm concerned. Now, some people sit there and say, Sal, you sound like an old man. What are you talking about? Let them have fun. That to me is over the top. Now, the, the only one I remember, not the only one, but the one that comes to mind when I think of egregious bat flips, was uh, Joey Batista a couple of years ago. I think it was in the playoffs against the Rangers where he hit a mammoth home run for the Blue Jays and flipped, I mean, took a couple of steps and flipped the bat way up in the air. And I've seen some, hey, look, Cespedes does it, Dribble Cabrera has done it. I mean, plenty of guys do it. We know that. Stanton hits one a mile and, and stands there and looks at it and watches it. This was, I mean, it's almost cartoonish the way that he celebrated this home run. It's it's a next level, especially because it's a game in April. It's it, not a playoff game. It's not a game to get you to the playoffs. It's a random game against the Twins in April. It is. It's a good point. I mean, it's not a postseason game. Even if it was a postseason game, I have a major problem with it. I, I don't get the argument that that's going to get young people into the sport. I mean, what bat doing a bat flip like that and standing there? I just. And again, and maybe the old school mentality, oh, I drill him. Maybe that's antiquated and I need to let that be. But there's no way you could let a guy act like that. And I don't know. I find it very disrespectful. I would find it immensely disrespectful if I was a member of the Minnesota. I find it disrespectful. I'm not even on the Twins. I don't care about the Rays or the Twins. And I find it disrespectful. It irked me. As somebody who played Little League, it irked me. As somebody who does talk shows about the sport, it bothered me. That's how egregious this was. That it was, honestly, it was, I don't even, it was sickening, his display. I just don't get how that is acceptable. And look, there's no, you know, flag for excessive celebration in baseball. Uh, And maybe that's one of the reasons why the sport polices itself, so to speak, with guys pitching inside, guys getting drilled, guys getting, you know, spikes coming in hard at second base. I just... I can't imagine Carlos Gomez celebrating like that and people being okay with it. Anyone. I mean, somebody, his own teammates. And that was that bad. What if it was game seven of the World Series? Mets hit a walk off home run at Cespedes and he does something like that. Maybe a little different for Game 7 World Series walk-off, right? Because that's the ultimate. I mean, even, even Joe Carter's celebration was mild. And I mean very mild. In comparison to that. Oh, my goodness. Right, Joe Carter jumped up for joy a couple of times, a natural emotion, which is fine, right? I mean, you know, the jubilation of knowing you just hit a home run to win the World Series, you know, touch them all, Joe, right? I mean, and runs around the bases, and it was fine, whatever. This made that look like nothing. I I don't even... If it were Game 7 of the World Series and you hit home run to win, I guess that the pure emotion would overtake your body to a point where you wouldn't even know how to act. This, to me, was premeditated almost to a point of ridiculous proportion. The way that he acted, 
after hitting that home run. And as you said, producer Mark, a meaningless, an essential meaningless game in April. I mean, I just, I can't imagine that there's a place for, for that in the sport. I and mean, you think you're younger than me. Is that good for this? Were you like battle? I know, does Pete like bat flips? I think he does, right? Pete he likes, does. Yeah. He likes the fun. You? I don't mind them. I think that was a little excessive for a game in April. But as the season goes on, if that happened, I'd be like, eh, it's fun. I don't hate it. I don't love it. I, I would, I mean, I, I would fully expect somebody to put one between the numbers for Carlos Gomez next time up if you're the Twinkies. I mean, that is, I, I just, I can't get over. I was watching the highlight. It came across my Twitter feed yesterday. I was watching it in, in awe of how absurd that it is. Imagine Odell Beckham Jr. hitting a home run. And then taking a culmination of all his touchdown celebrations and dances and putting it into that. That's kind of what it was on the baseball field from Carlos Gomez yesterday. 800-321-0710. 800-321-0710. Connor Hughes of The Athletic talking Jets draft. That's next on the Sports Zone. Salicata and for Pete McCarthy, the voice of New York, 710 WOR. This is the WOR Sports Zone. Filling in for Pete McCarthy, here's Sal Licata. Remember, a pair of Mets tickets still to give away this hour, so keep listening for that. 800-321-0710, the number to call to talk to me if you want before we say goodbye at 9 o'clock. Well, we did the Giants with Pat Leonard of the Daily News, so let's do some Jets with Connor Hughes of The Athletic. Connor, nice enough to take a couple of minutes to join us right now. Uh, all right, Connor, let's get into it. I know a little bit today with McCagney was joking around about, oh, he may take a safety, best player available. Uh, let's just get out of the way. There's no chance the Jets take anybody other than a quarterback at number three, correct? It, correct. Yeah, it is. It is quarterback or bust there at number three. I mean, well, well, pretty much once Kirk Cousins put pen to paper there in Minnesota, um, the Jets traded up from number six to number three. It, they, they've been all in on a quarterback. I mean, that's really the only place that they can go here with the number three pick. Yeah, and we know that once they trade up and give everything that they did to get to that number three spot, that they're going to take a quarterback. I know today McCagney was having some fun uh, joking around, talking about they evaluate all players, blah, 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 blah. Um, another one would be, do you see the Jets, another rumor has come up, do you see the Jets at all trying to trade up one spot to the number two pick? Uh, I, f- I find that hard to believe at this point, you know, because here's the thing about Mike McCagney is that he he loves draft picks. I mean, this is a guy who cut his teeth in talent evaluation at the collegiate level. He's not a numbers guy. He's not a pro personnel guy. He was a an intern scout for the Redskins, scouted in the CFL, scouted for the Texans. I mean, he's made his way into collegiate scouting. So draft picks to him are about as valuable as anything in the NFL world. I mean, he loves them. I mean, for him to actually give up three second-round picks to go from six to three was surprising because, really, McCagney's just been a guy that likes to hoard his draft picks and not necessarily, you know, give out those prime selections. He'll part with a fifth or sixth, but not like those really good first, second, third-round picks. So if he was going to go up to number two or he was going to go up to number one, he would have already done it when he moved from six up. You know, he talked to the uh, Cleveland Browns going up to number one, but in order to trade up to number one, they were going to have to give up, you know, future first-round picks. That's not something Mike McCagney wanted to do. So if he's going to go from three to two, that's going to be what he's going to have to do. You know, he's going to have to give up a future first round pick, or he's going to have to give up a third round pick. And and right now, because the Jets already mortgaged their future in terms of giving up those three second rounders, they don't really have many expendable picks. So could they get something done? Yeah, I just don't see it happening because of the fact it's going to cost so much more 
for the Jets to go up to that spot. And really, it's picks that they don't they no longer have because they already gave up their expendable picks to go from six to three. Yeah, I'm with you, Connor. I didn't understand that one. I mean, I, I get that people want to you know put the Jets in a better spot. Yeah, it'd be great to be number two or number one. Obviously, you have your pick as opposed to what's left after the first two picks. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, when would a team trade up from where, from six to three and then trade up again a spot? I, I just I, I, it didn't make any sense to me. Now that being said, do you feel the Jets are, and I guess you could say yeah because they made the trade in general, but as we get closer here and maybe you hear more rumors about who might go number one, who might go number two, Jets are more than comfortable sitting number three, taking whatever quarterback or one of the quarterbacks that's left? They have to be. I mean, that that's kind of the thing is that they, they have to be. When, when they made this deal to go from six to three, and they didn't make a deal to go to six to one, or they didn't make a deal to go to six to two. Basically, what happened was Mike McCagnan, every one of his his personnel guys and guys that he trusts in that front office, they sat down and they said, "Here, let's play out every possible situation that can happen for us at number three. Let's say the Giants take this guy, the Browns take this guy. I mean, every one of the possible scenarios that can happen with the draft. Let's make sure that after all of those picks." And everything that could possibly happen, we're still comfortable. That we are still okay with where we're sitting and and what's going to happen at number three if all of these different things happen. And the only way that they make the trade to go from six to three is if they check off every single box. And they say, yep, happy with that one. Yep, happy with that one. Yep, happy with that one. And it goes all the way down. If there was a situation that could play out where the Jets are sitting at number three and they are not happy with the quarterbacks that are there, well, then you don't make the trade to number three. You make the trade to number two. You make the trade to number one. So basically what this came down to is that the Jets were content with the fact that they didn't have to give up a future first-round pick to go from six to three. They were happy with every possible player that's going to be there. And now it's just about waiting to see how this one's going to play out. And if you see you know, kind of the craziness that's going on in Cleveland and the craziness that's going on in it with the Giants you know, across town there in East Rutherford, there's pretty much, I mean, we're, what, three days, four days from the draft, and we still don't know what the heck those first two teams are doing, so there's still a, a lot of uncertainty with who the Jets are going to pick. It could just as easily be Baker Mayfield as it is Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen. You really just don't know at this point. But either way, in all your scenarios, Jets are sitting there saying, okay, well, we trade up to number three. It's always about the quarterback. If the first two, you know, if these two quarterbacks go, well, we're taking this guy. Or, you know, these two quarterbacks go, well, then we're going to take this guy. Never involves anybody else, right? I mean, I'm assuming. No, that, no, yeah. yes. no, it's, yeah. And, and then, it's, it's entirely quarterback. And you mentioned Mayfield. Look, I, I mean, again, from the outside, Connor, I'm shocked that he would even come up. I'm thinking if you trade up from six to three, you want to Make sure you get one of the quote-unquote top guys, whether that be Rosen, Darnold, or Allen. I would think there's still a chance that they could have gotten Mayfield at six. So is it worth you know trading up all that to get a guy like Baker Mayfield? Do you believe there's legitimacy to the interest in Baker Mayfield? It's so tough. It, you hear it. I mean, look, those those rumors are out there. I've heard that from multiple people that the Jets love this guy, that the Jets really do love Baker Mayfield. But the issue right now, and if you look back at Mike McCagden's tenure as general manager, is there are always these little rumblings that come out that they, you know, purposely leak or you purposely hear and, and they turn out to not be true because Mike McCagden keeps everything close to the best. I mean, he does not leak anything to anybody. That goes with his free agency plans, that goes with his draft plans. I think the only thing that got out that everybody knew was that the Jets were going to pursue Kirk Cousins. I mean, that's kind of like the only thing that, that that's ever come out that really turned out to be true. So, look, at this point, I've heard it. I know a lot of other people have heard it, and it's out there that the Jets are interested in Baker Mayfield. And if it's true, 
fine. You know, they, look, they, here's the thing about Mike McCagney and the Jets right now. They are going to draft a quarterback, and they have to be right. All right? So if they are going to put all of their stock into this, if they're going to give up those three second-round picks to go to number three and to take the quarterback, in a way, you almost have to have a little blind faith that they're going to get it right because what you have to realize and what Mike McCagnin certainly realizes is that if he swings and misses on this pick, he's out of a job. You know, this isn't like he's playing with house money or he's saying, oh, you know what, I got a lifetime contract. I can do whatever I want. If I miss, I miss whatever. It's not that. He has to get a franchise quarterback this year. He has to draft his guy that's going to pan out. There's no other situation that, that I can see playing out here where the Jets do not get a franchise quarterback and Mike McCagney is this team's GM in two years. It's just not going to happen. He needs to get his guy, and he needs to get this pick right. And if he's going to be willing to trade up in the draft and give up what he did to go from six to three, and he's putting all of his eggs in the basket and saying, Baker Mayfield's our guy, well, that's who he's trusting it is. And, and if you look at the other quarterbacks out there outside of Sam Donald, because I think he's probably the one, probably the most surefire pick in terms of checks the personality boxes, checks on-field boxes. Of a couple red flags there with turnovers and such and some mechanical stuff they need to fix. But for the most part of these quarterbacks, he's the most you know sure thing of the most unsure things, if that makes any mm. sense. The other guys have a lot more red flags. You know, Sam Dar- uh, Josh Rosen, I'm sorry, as the checkered off-field with you know is he is he coachable? Is you know do his teammates like him? All that stuff with Josh Allen. You have the questions of, is this guy going to be a Hall of Famer or is he going to be a colossal bust in the next, you know, whatever. You don't know what he's going to be. And then with Baker Mayfield, obviously, you have some questions regarding his height and, you know, the arrest that came up and, and the, the on-field issues that he had as well. So, you know, uh, aside from Darnold, there is everyone in this other class has red flags and concerns. And it's just a matter of which guy the Jets are willing to, to put their face in and believe in. And if that's Mayfield, well, you know, it's Mayfield. And, and the whole thing is that, you know, McCagden's betting, in a way, his job on it. Talking with Connor Hughes of The Athletic covering the Jets. If you had to guess, Connor, an educated guess based on everything that you know from being around the team and your sources and all that, rank on the Jets board top three quarterbacks. Yeah, I I think it's probably Sam Darnold one, then uh, Baker Mayfield, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen. Wow. Yeah, I think that's probably their pick. I think that's who they really like. I know know they like Darnold. I know that he is a guy that they really love. And, in fact, up until – a couple of weeks ago, they never thought it was possible. But then when you started hearing these rumblings about how much the Browns like Josh Allen and he could be the one pick, and then, you know, the Giants are going to take Barkley, well, suddenly Darnold's going to be there, and the Jets, you know, quick rushed him in there for a visit. So I think that, that that's probably how their quarterback thing works out. But at the same time, I mean, you can probably go uh, 2 and 2A if you want with uh, Baker Mayfield and Josh Rosen. I think those are the two guys that it's a little tough to read. But Josh Allen, I get the feeling, is, is there down at four, that he is he is number four in the pecking order. And it makes sense, man. You know, with, with the Christian Hackenberg experiment and, and how much the Jets botched that, they probably want the more sure thing in this year's class, and, and that kind of rules out Allen. Yeah, and I'm not shocked about Allen. What I'm shocked is that Mayfield will be that close and even ahead of Rosen. Now, look, I mean, I'm not a, a scout, okay, but I, I love Josh Rosen. I think he would be my pick. I am floored, Connor, that – Mayfield could be taken if Rosen is still there and they take Mayfield. And look, the chances are they're going to have a choice between those two. I mean, you would think that they'd have a choice between the three with Allen, Mayfield, or Rosen, but you would think at the very least they should have, barring, you know, a team trading up and, and, you know, taking either Mayfield or Rosen at number two, which doesn't even seem likely, they're going to have their choice of Mayfield or Rosen, and that is going to be a huge 
franchise-altering decision. Uh, for me, I'd probably play it safe. And, well, I'd definitely play it safe and go Rosen. You're saying this sounds like a chance they like Mayfield better. Yeah, that's what I've heard, man. And, and I'll tell you what, I, I do. I, I agree with you. I, I kind of, having talked to some different people, it, it just seems like Rosen is the more surefire thing. But again, it's there are some concerns there with him. I mean, when you hear difficult to coach, that's a huge, huge red flag. When you have concerns about whether he loves football or if he's just playing quarterback to play quarterback, you know, what is his real desire? Does he really want to be the best or is he just playing football because he's good about it? You know, that's, that's a red flag and a little bit of a concern too. When you hear that, you know, he rubbed teammates the wrong way and that, you know, his teammates didn't really like him. That's a big red flag. Now are all of these things true? You don't know, but those are rumors that are out there. And usually where there's smoke, there's somewhat of a fire. Maybe it's a wrong impression, but it's sometimes that's first impression kills you, man. And, and when you hear those things, he's going to hypothetically speaking, say you put him in the locker room, it, are, are the players in that locker room going in with an open mind? Or are they saying, you know what? I heard from, you know, so-and-so who played with him at UCLA a couple years ago that he's kind of, you know, not the nicest guy. You know, those are out there. And with the Jets, when they want that, they want that player that they can put all their eggs in the basket, maybe some of those off-field concerns with Rosen scare them more than the concerns with, with, uh, with Mayfield. You know, he's super accurate. He's a guy that his teammates love. I mean, his coaches love him. I mean, he can do a lot of good things, and he's incredibly accurate. Maybe they say, you know what? And our West Coast offense with Jeremy Bates, he's the best bet. But, again, I think the thing that, that kind of should be prefaced with all of this is that Mike McCagney keeps everything close to the vest. As you saw today in his press conference, he doesn't say anything, and he loves the fact that he says nothing. I mean, he's, he's Eli Manning in that regard where he talks for hours, but you never get any good quote out of him. I think that he likes that, and he likes the fact that no one really knows what, you, what he's going to do and all you're hearing is stuff through the grapevine and hearsay and hearsay and all that stuff. So, you know, we'll see what he does. But at this point, I think that's as we get closer to the draft and you start to kind of put together where the Jets draft board is, I think it's undoubtedly Darnold 1, but then Mayfield 2, followed by Rosen. I, th- I think that's where they're at right now. Talking with Connor Hughes of The Athletic, a couple quick ones for you, Connor, before we let you go. How long to develop? Does McCagnan Bowles get? I mean, are we looking? You think they're going to, whatever quarterback they draft, going to play by the end of this season? Are they going to sit for a whole year and then play year two? How long? What are we looking at here as far as development goes for this quarterback? Yeah, I think it'll be a play it by year. I mean, the Jets are going into this thing, obviously, uh, probably against him over last year, wide open three man quarterback competition. The difference is, is that when you've got the number three pick in the draft, I think that if, obviously, the rookie is the best of, of McCown and Bridgewater, the rookie gets the nod. If it's even, I think the rookie gets the nod. And if it's right around even, I still think the rookie gets the nod. The only way he doesn't, I think, would be if he looks like he really just isn't ready. And then the Jets go with Josh McCown or Bridgewater and then work the rookie in once there's a spot to work the rookie in. But as far as a window to develop this, I think everything that, you know, you know, when the Jets would change general manager, change, you know, Todd, you know, the head coach, I think if they're five and eleven, six and ten, four and twelve, I mean that Todd Bowles is not going to survive that again. I think Mike McCagnan by drafting a rookie here at number three bought himself another year. But at this point, the Jets have to be a playoff team in 2019 for him to come back. Because look, they had the most salary cap space in the NFL this year. The number three pick in the draft after having the number six pick, after having the number twenty pick, after having the number six pick, that he's had time now to build this team into a contender. And next year, the Jets are projected to have another $100 million in salary, $100 million in salary cap space. So, again, they're going to be really active in free agency. If he can't have built this team into a playoff team in 2019, I think that's when you'd see the Jets make, make wholesale changes. But, you know, as far as the rookie, I, don't, I think there's an outside chance he starts week one. I would probably 
hedge it with no, though, and that's just because Todd Bowles is a little old school and he seems to like the idea of, of letting the rookie sit a little bit before playing him. But this won't be a Christian Hackenberg thing where you know he sits a full season, season and a half before seeing the field. He'll, he'll see it earlier than that. Thursday night, third pick of the 2018 NFL Draft, the New York Jets select. I'll go with either Sam Darnold or Baker Mayfield. I think if the Browns do not take Sam Darnold, I think the uh, the Jets will take Sam Darnold. Uh, if not, then I think it's going to be Baker Mayfield. Thank you, Connor. I appreciate the couple minutes. Yeah, no problem, Sal. Thanks for having me on. Connor Hughes of The Athletic does excellent work. Good on the air, as you could tell uh, as well. Boy, I'm floored by that, that Mayfield would be ahead on the depth chart of Josh Rosen. I would have Rosen the top of Darnold. Forget Mayfield. 800 We finish with your calls and give away a pair of Mets tickets. When we come back, it's the Sports Zone. Salakata in for Pete McCarthy, the voice of New York, 710-WOR. Now, you're in the WOR Sports Zone. Filling in for Pete, here's Sal Licata. Right now, your chance to win a pair of tickets to see the Mets take on the Rockies May 5th out at City Field. Be caller number 8. Caller 8, 800-321-0710, and you're the winner. Brought to you by the New York Mets and by Coca-Cola. Get to City Field Saturday night, May 5th. See the Mets take on the Rockies. First 25,000 fans in attendance will receive a Yohannes Cespedes Garden Gnome courtesy of New Balance. Purchase tickets at Mets.com slash tickets. Artie in Brooklyn is on the Voice of New York. What's up, Artie? Hey, how's it going, Sal? Yeah, not bad. Yeah, I, you know, I'm going back and forth with this. Anytime I hear a different interview on, on the quarterbacks, I change my mind on who I want the Jets to get. You, you know? want Baker Mayfield, Artie? Oh. You know, I'm not going to say I want him, but I understand why they would take him. Because you, there's always there's not a luck in this draft, even Donald, who's I think is the consensus, the number one pick out of all, they, they there's something wrong with him too. Yeah, I don't it's like Donald. Like, For the record, I don't like Donald myself, see? Artie. And they, and and there you go. See, so it's all like I said. Who do you want? L- Who do you want? It's tough. Yeah, well, you got to make that decision. I mean, McCagnan's yeah. ultimately got to make the decision, but who do you want, I, Artie? I understand, and you know, that's why I, I'm not going to go crazy whoever they get. That's fair. I just am excited, and this is the one thing is, whoever they get, I want it to start, because I don't want this, he's going to come in in the fifth game and stuff. Here's the other concern with me, okay? And it's with Alex Smith is a perfect example, and the kid on the Rams is another one, Goff. When they got drafted, I thought both were were, were uh, busts. Coaching has such a big part. And do I have enough trust in this Jet coaching staff that even if they do draft the right guy, do they can they develop them and put the right system in? That's my problem, okay? I don't want to wait another year to see this guy – Go five and seven. I want. I mean, five and whatever. Well, whatever. well the thing is, I already got to go five and eleven this year, and then do what Goff did last year for the Rams. Yeah, I got to let you go, already. Thanks for the call. Yeah, Appreciate thanks. the passion as always. Look, if this staff doesn't get it done, there's going to be a new staff in right behind him. Either way, it's exciting to be a Jets fan. All right, we'll be back with you on Thursday after the afternoon game. Pete is back tomorrow. Coverage begins. Mets baseball uh, resumes. Coverage begins six oh five. Mets take it on the Redbirds. Here's the news.